pipe Caterpillar to a butterfly Bye-bye butterfly It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff Brought to you by Pike Nurseries On 95.5 WSB And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to Green and Growing. Hey, Ashley Frasco with you for the next three hours. And I can't wait to talk to you. 404-872-0750. Here we are in the middle of August and it's hot. You know it's hot. So we have a lot to talk about. We'll be joined in the next hour by Dr. David Coyle from Clemson University about tree health and invasive species. And of course, coming up at the bottom of the hour, our friend Walter Reeves, always along with timely and seasonal, very useful advice that all of us could benefit from. Our friend, the Georgia Gardener, taking calls 404-872-0750. Jim from Stone Mountain up first. Glad you called this morning. A question about a very obnoxious weed. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for taking my call. About five or six years ago, I installed about 5,000 square foot of Mercedes brand of uh, St. Augustine Uh sod. Uh, Unfortunately, in with the sod, uh, the following spring popped up the poem, Mm -hmm. uh, also known as Kentucky bluegrass. That's right. Over the years, I have tried... Is it all right to mention name brands on the air? Sure, sure. Okay. I have tried several products with atrazine in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have tried a brand named Image, which is rather costly. I have tried Halts. None of these have toned it down to any uh, degree. Uh, I have put it out in the fall as well as early spring. Yeah. Basically, it's had little to no effect, and I'm wondering if you can tell me of another product that would work. Yeah, you've pretty much rattled off all of the ones that I'm familiar with. Um, halts, dithiapyr is one of the active ingredients in, like, dimension. Uh, dimension is another one. But generally, you may have a tough case, and, and it does sound like you're applying it at the right times. That was my next question. Um, generally any label that shows, you know, for crabgrass is going to be able to tackle the annual bluegrass or poa annua, as we know, one of the most problematic winter weeds, um, germinates in the fall. So really that's why it's so important and then it can overwinter, but that's why it's so important to do that application at the right time in mid September. Wow. Jim, I mean, the only one that you didn't really rattle off that I could think of was something with dithiapyr. Um, and, and there's a lot of them as well, the pre-emergence that, you know, are kind of a three-way, I believe. If any landscapers have some suggestions, image for nutsedge, you said you tried that as well. Um, boy, we got to help Jim out. And and really, too, Jim, with a, with a case that severe, making sure to do it, have you pretty much done it every year? You said you installed the sod five or six years ago. Yes, ma'am. I've done it every year. And uh, like I say, I do it in the fall. I do it in the early spring just pops right up. Yeah. I've tried yanking it out, which is <laughs> almost impossible I because know. I have so much of it. I have heard of a product, and I have not been able to find it. It's called Team, T-E-A-M. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with that? I'm not, and there's so many products that I, you know, can see listed online that may only have, you know, these, these chemicals are only available to professional landscapers, so I'm not, I don't want to start rattling off chemical names that maybe, you know, you and I can't buy at the nursery or the big box store, you know, if they're, 
registered chemicals for uh, landscape use only, like professionals. I'll, let me look a little more into that one too, Jim, because I'm not sure about that. I don't know what the active ingredient in that one is. Um, but again, if anyone has suggestions for Jim uh, in the Stone Mountain area is where the St. Augustine is with the uh, Poa Annua infestation, give us a call. I appreciate that, Jim. You've, you've got me stumped. You really literally have tried everything that I would know to tell you. If you'll stick around and listen for a little bit, we may get you some help. 404-872-0750. Up next, Dave from Buford. Good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, Ashley. How are you this morning? Very good. What what good. advice do you have for us? I love, you know, I love questions from folks, but I love folks like you that call with advice. You're giving it to us the other way. Yes. In fact, we had a pleasant conversation. It's been a while uh, regarding moles. Okay. And uh, But in this case, uh, you had a gentleman calling in uh, regarding the deer. You have been listening for a long time. Props to you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, thank you, ma'am. <laughs> um, something that I have recommended, I'm in the industry, so um, something I have recommended to my customers that have issues with deer that tear up their, their arborvitaes and their legalins and things like that, is instead of trying to deter them from the desirable plant material, Try baiting them away from it, like putting out a bird feeder, for example. Get a salt lick or corn feed and put it, you know, providing the environment favors it, put it away from the plants that they're attracted to. Now, again, that's kind of like putting out a mouse trap. Doesn't guarantee you'll catch the mouse, mm -hmm. but it's a way of encouraging them away from what they're looking at towards something that they desire even more. I love that. And I had brought up the idea of a salt block. Yeah, thinking if you put that on the periphery of your property, maybe deer would just be grateful and happy for that and stick with that and not come further into your yard to see, ooh, there's even more desirable things that I would like. Like, kind of a distraction. Yeah. Exactly. The other, uh, there was another gentleman who called in regarding the Poana in his St. Augustine. Oh, yeah. Um, there is a product that you can get over the counter, you know, Lowe's, Home Depot, your big box stores, probably Pikes. I'm not sure. Um, it's in the industry. We call it 007. Okay. Zero, zero, seven, no nitrogen, no phosphorus, and just a low rate of potassium. Um, but it has a pre-emergent in it called pendimethylin. Mm -hmm. It's not the greatest pre-emergent, but you can't go wrong with it. So even if you put it out a little heavily, it sets a nice barrier to help minimize that poana from developing. And if you do it a couple of times, two, maybe even three, because it is so low grade, right. as early as the end of August, okay. uh, even, even though it's still hot, uh, daylight hours are less. We start getting shorter daylight hours, and you want to get that preventive barrier down before it starts to germinate. Because once it's germinated, post-emergent, Weed control is very challenging, especially in St. Augustine or, or even Centipede because they're so sensitive to, to so many herbicides. Yeah, and pre-emergent, yeah. meaning these are the herbicides that we're using before the seed has a chance to germinate. And I was telling him maybe mid-September, but Dave, I think you're absolutely right in that it's better to do it early than late. Once you're too late, you're too late. But maybe even backing that window up a little bit, like you're saying, late August, that way you're exactly. ensuring... I mean, and it stays in the soil. It's not like the pre-emergence one and done. So it's going to hang out and, you know, attack those weed seeds as they're germinating. So that's effective on Poa annua, huh? Yes, ma'am. And oh. in fact, it's, it's, you know, people might say, well, pre-emergent, that's like a foreign language. Well, it's <laughs> just, it's just like it sounds, pre-emergent. 
emerge. Yep. It sets that barrier to help keep the weeds from germinating before they start. Dave, my friend, I am going to be on the lookout for your calls from here on out. I do remember talking to you. The more I've heard you talk, I do remember talking to you about moles previously. I invite you to call anytime since you've got knowledge, you're in the industry. I so appreciate all of those tips of advice. Folks, see, that's what we do. I don't have all the answers, but we help each other out. Dave and Buford, have a great Saturday morning. 404-872-0750. Jimmy and McDonough, good morning. Good morning. Did I give you some good advice? Is that yes, right? Yes, ma'am. Oh, my goodness. Tell me how. <laughs> I think it was back uh, in May or so when I first called you. I was a first-time caller. Okay. Oh, you're uh, a second-time caller now. All right. A second-time caller now. <laughs> Repeat but customer. I have a well-established yard. Uh-huh. It's absolutely beautiful. Uh, centipede. Mm-hmm. And I seeded it several years ago, and it's really thrived. But I had a spot of Bermuda that came up, and when I first seen it, I didn't really think much about it. But long story short, it's about the third season. It really got big, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's you know, you're very evasive. So I called you and asked you what I could spray on the Bermuda mm-hmm. and, and it not hurt the centipede, and you told me uh, Seth Oxidant. Seth Oxidem, mm-hmm. and I used that, and Buddy, it did a number on it, but it didn't hurt the centipede, like you said. So that is great. I'm so glad to hear. And you got to be careful. You know, it, it can be different when you've got a cool season and a warm season grass, like fescue and Bermuda, fighting it out. But two warm season grasses, it's just really careful. You've got to pick the right grass for the right condition the one that's going to be toughest and thrive and in your case centipede one out that's what we wanted to happen jimmy i'm so glad keep in touch you're my my satisfied customer i want you to keep calling the show thank you so much 404-872-0750 we'll be right back it's wsb if you ever saw me here in the studio I'm like an octopus, reaching in all different directions, pushing a lot of buttons, multiple computer screens in front of me, but nevertheless, having a great time. Glad you're here on a Saturday morning. The weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. And you know, at this time of the show, I try to, before the bottom of the hour news, before the top of the hour news, at least once an hour, try to give you this. Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Here's your garden to-do list this week. All right. Pull weeds. Number one, that's never something you want to hear me say. Pull weeds. All the rain we've had means plants are growing, and that includes the weeds. Wait for a dry morning or an evening to get out there and just rip them out as much as you can. Spot treat the area with selective products that won't harm grass or desirable plants. Maybe easier said than done. Um, And remember the mulch, you know, putting down a two to three inch thick layer of mulch is really going to help keep the weeds out as well and it's probably time to refresh the garden beds make them look nice for the fall and the winter number two divide perennials dig and divide perennial flowers in your garden you've got hostas you've got different kinds of daylilies ornamental grasses bearded iris i definitely need to do that and number three last chance to plant snap beans and irish potatoes for a fall harvest before the first frost in late October, early November. And you'll follow along for Kirk Mellish's blog. Yeah, he's retired, but he still does his weather blog on wsbradio.com. You got to check that out. And we love having our new meteorologist, Christina Edwards, along with us.
So just a little while ago, we got really good calls about uh, chemicals that a lot of you were like, hey, wait, I I didn't write that down. I didn't catch that. So I kind of wanted to revisit that for you. Jimmy from McDonough, he was the one that called and noted that he had had success killing out his Bermuda and centipede lawn. The chemical he had success with was Seth Oxidim. That active ingredient is like found in Bonide's over-the-top grass killer. Now, as far as killing crabgrass, that product will work for that, too, along with something like Image for Nutsedge. A lot of you may have that. But the caution on the image is do not apply during cooler winter months when the turf and any weeds aren't actively growing. And do not apply during green up in the spring. That's really important when these warm season lawns are transitioning and not for use on desired fescue lawns. So Image for Nutsedge doesn't like the uh, cool season grass. It'll kill fescue, too. And our first caller was Jim in Stone Mountain, Annua, annual bluegrass bluegrass, that weed, in his St. Augustine grass. So my turf grass expert, Clint Waltz, you've heard him on the show from the University of Georgia and works at the Griffin campus. He agrees pendimethalin can be effective for that. Mid to late August, right now, an excellent time for the first application. You're you're applying a pre-emergent to get to that weed before it grows. Repeat application may be applied 45 to 60 days from now. You read the label. Pendimethalin is a good pre-emergence if the poannua hasn't developed herbicide resistance. So thanks to everybody coming together for that good information. A lot more on the show and your calls as well. 404-872-0750. And don't forget, follow me on Facebook. Search Green and Growing WSB and there we are. Like the Facebook page, follow it. I don't know what the difference is, but you can do one or both. And I hopefully find really good information. Send me questions, send me pictures. I love that. We'll be right back. We're going to take a break and check news, weather, and traffic. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Here we are together again on another Saturday morning. Ashley Frasca, it's green and growing. Really glad you're here and always blessed, highly favored. Really glad that Walter Reeves joins us <laughs> this time every Saturday morning. And hey, listen, he's even got his own theme music. Walter's Wondering. Walter's Wondering. The definitive questions and answers from WSB's OG garden guru, Walter Reeves. Good morning, sir. How are you doing today? Good morning, Ashley. The OG gardener is right here for you. (laughs) Uh, Good morning. That is it. And we love you being here every Saturday morning. Thank you for making the appointment, setting the alarm clock. But uh, I do want to give a disclaimer about our conversation that's about to occur here. If anyone gets the heebie-jeebies or is a little creeped out by the slithery friends (laughs) that we have in the garden snakes, I suggest you maybe walk away from the radio for the next eight to nine minutes. But for those of you that stick around, we're going to learn a lot, right? Do you know what people who are afraid of snakes are called? No. Do you know what the condition is called? Uh Ophidiophobic. Ooh. Like if you're claustrophobic, you don't like small spaces. But ophidiophobes are people who don't like snakes. So if you're ophidiophobic... Go eat, eat somewhere else or another radio. We'll be talking about snakes for five minutes now. Yeah, just like yeah. A, arachnophobic, I guess. You're scared of spiders. Yeah, so. right, right. Well, See, you, you haven't even been speaking for 60 seconds, and you already taught us something. <laughs> <laughs> so you did um, 
dropped some knowledge on me the other day about uh, where snakes could hide that is not really yeah. a common place for us to think about them. Because one of the places that snakes hide is in trees. And that oh. just creeps me out to think that I'm walking around in the woods and there's snakes up in trees. And not all snakes are up in trees. And not many snakes are up in trees. But snakes can be in trees. Let's put it that way. And I saw a video of a cotton map. No, I think it was Copperhead. Mm. Copperhead was climbing a tree to get a cicada. And he climbed up the tree and he stuck up the cicada and he ate the cicada. And that was that. I thought, ah how many snakes in my yard? Don't know. Wow, how so, ticked would he be if he took all the time to climb up that tree and then the cicada flew away? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> peeved. I think about that. <laughs> but but I, I have another friend who had um, her utility room door. She, I don't know why, she looked up one day. Her utility room door had been left open for a few hours. Looked up and there was dang rat snake on top of her utility room door. Oh my gosh! What was he doing up there? I have no idea. Unbelievable. Snakes really can, some of them anyway, yeah. can climb. Totally go vertical. Now, what would be some of the reasons, other than getting a cicada, maybe finding shade or something, that they would be inclined to climb a tree? Yeah, I think just finding maybe bird eggs and things like that that uh, snakes eat. So birds, baby birds, bird eggs, things like that would be good for some snakes. And again, not all snakes climb, and certainly not all venomous snakes are climbers. But um, some non-venomous snakes do get up in the trees sometimes. Woo, cover your head. You got spiders coming out of the trees, you got ticks, and now you have to worry about snakes. Great. Just great. Um, well, let's talk about, you know, common misconceptions. Snake is bad, although people would like to believe right. so. Give us two or three that are common here in the southeast, Walter, that are not venomous. Rat snake is my favorite wonderful snake that's totally non-venomous and does eat rats and mice. You don't like to see rats and mice around your property, but the rat snake is out there doing his best to control them, and so they're one of my favorites. Um, the brown snake, though, brown garden snake, is probably the most common and totally non-venomous. There's a little snake by, about as big as a pencil and about as long as a pencil, so about a foot long or less. And it's brown, and it has little speckled markings on its back. And you find it any time you're raking leaves or just messing around in the garden, you overturn a log or something like that, you basically see this little brown snake there. And they look at you and say, what are you looking at me for? And they run as fast as they can <laughs> to get away from you. So uh, brown snakes are very common. Ring-necked snakes occasionally. I see a ring-necked snake in gardens. They just, as I say, uh, about a foot long and have a very bright white neck. No, oh. then it's totally easy to see and easy to let go leaves alone. Don't do anything with it. The stripes down the back. Uh, they're about a foot and a half long, probably. I'm glad and you again, mentioned no, that one. Oh. That one is commonly misspelled in garden groups that I'm a part of on social yeah. media. They think okay. it's garden snake and it's garter. No. The brown garden snake is what I refer to just as a garden snake, and the garter snake is what has, stri has stripes on its back. Very good, very good. Now, is this the time of year where we're starting to see, you know, some of them shed their skins? Do they do that for yeah. most of the summer? Good point. That is something that is so startling sometimes. You see a snake skin, it can be sometimes four or five feet long. You say, oh, my God, I've got an anaconda. <laughs> I have a big, huge, one of the Florida snakes in my, in my garage. Uh. But the skin of a snake when it sheds stretches much longer than the the snake that shed it mm. was. So if you have a you know, foot long, foot and a half long rat snake, their shed skin could be three feet long. And it makes you think, wow, that's huge. And it's really not. 
And if you see the skin, the steak is long gone. Of course, they're not living, living there particularly. They shed the skin in places where they can get a little, little grip on a corner or a sharp place and grab the skin and sort of wriggle out of it. And they shed it and leave it alone. I'm all for that. You see it I'd rather see the later. skin than the snake. Yeah, probably yeah. so. <laughs> the skins the... are interesting to examine, though. A lot of picking up snake skin and seeing where the eyes were, where the yeah. uh, tail was. You see the whole thing. You see the, all the imprints of the scales on the snake. It's really interesting to look at if you mm. care to do that. Nope. Mm-mm. No, I'll take your word for it, though. Okay. <laughs> all right. And maybe the kids could do it. Maybe the kids could do it. Yeah, 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 they could do it. So there are common sense approaches and practices to keep snakes away from your landscape. Um, Something we want to talk about, though, chemical repellents to repel them. Um, Folks may look at products that have sulfur or maybe uh, naphthalene. And do those work? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can categorically state that any product that says it repels snakes with a chemical smell or something like that is not going to work. And naphthalene is the same as mothballs. We don't recommend mothballs oh. anymore, ever, because they are poison. Naphthalene can cause great harm to your lungs, so I do not recommend naphthalene. Uh, sulfur, snakes don't care one way or the other about sulfur. It just smells to humans, not to snakes particularly. Uh, lime, I've seen people say, oh, you put a hmm. you know, border of lime around your shed, if the snake says, they don't care about lime, they don't care about eggshells, <laughs> they don't care about broken glass. Uh, gasoline, I guess they might care about gasoline, but I'm not going to put a bunch of gasoline around yeah. my shed. Uh, so lots of things are touted and old wives sales that say they repel snakes, but none of them work. They're only practical things that make a snake not want to be in your yard, like don't let them have any any frogs or mice or crickets or things to eat and the snake won't come to your yard. Well, and let's not keep, you know, extra lumber, and I'm pointing to myself here, but extra lumber and things like that, garden equipment and whatever piled up under the deck or next to the patio or just giving them some nice yeah. cool place to hide. We don't want to do that, right? Firewood would be a common thing yeah. piled up near the Ooh. house, and uh, it's a great place for a snake to go because they, again, have food, shelter. I find another, another snake in there to snuggle up with in the wintertime and make baby snakes and have some fun <laughs> in the log pile. So uh, it takes a log pile away from the house and take it up off the ground, pile it so the wood is off the ground, uh, rock piles, cinder blocks uh, underneath the shed that might mm. have food, you know, the crickets and things underneath it to try to seal it up. And if you are out in a place where snakes might be, and I don't want to say might be, like... Um, woods where you have a lot of low grasses or maybe even English ivy. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad idea. You take a snake in your take a stick in your hand and swipe it over the shrubbery and you know, hit the ground a couple of times because the snake feels vibrations. And the bigger the vibration, the more the snake is thinking, oh, no, i got to go. And they will go somewhere and hide and not ever see. You won't ever see them. But they're just shaking, cowering, wishing that that big thing is striking the ground with a stick or uh, running the sticks to the shrubbery, the foliage and everything. They were wishing that person would go away and leave me alone. Yeah, I mean, extremely uh, wary of humans and your dog, you know, tromping yeah. through the yard as well. So really, if they bite you, it's kind of maybe a last-ditch effort. Like, all right, you, you ticked yeah, me off yeah, and right. I didn't get away fast enough. Right. Are you surprised in the way they were sunning themselves on the tar side of a, a log or something? You step over the yeah. log when you're walking in the woods. And it's like, that gum, where's that boot right there? Oh, it looks bad to me. Yikes. But if you maybe hit the log with a stick again, the snake says, oh, something's going to hunker down here. All right, venomous ones, um, a big one, copperhead. Yeah, very common. 
And or I say very common, but it's one of the most common mistakes. Mm-hmm. You rarely see them. Occasionally, people see them sunning themselves on a deck or back steps or something like that. Again, the best thing to do, frankly, is to just hit the ground around them, and they'll run, scatter, spread with water. They'll run, get away from there. Um, anything that makes a stake of prey venomous or non-venomous makes them go away. Yeah. So, um, you know, just let the copperhead be him, be himself or herself, and get out of there. Uh, the cottonmouths, the water moccasins, are not so common where you don't have water. But if you had a little pond, I guess, or a little creek in the backyard or something like that, that would be a place where frogs would live. And of course, cottonmouths, uh, cottonmouths love frogs, so that would be something to be aware of. They'd be more likely there than place that didn't have any water around it okay and maybe busting one more myth or there's some truth to it something like planting roses or planting lemongrass again that may go back to the scent with lemongrass yeah. works or not baloney uh <laughs> totally not true <laughs> a state may get under a rose get some shade or they may hide in the lemongrass because it's a nice place to take a snooze but uh no they don't repel snakes certainly okay Wow, great conversation. Very enlightening. And, you know, thinking about the firewood, too. You know who else likes firewood? I don't need any firewood. You can have all the firewood you have. And, well, uh, I mean, we so, have some because of camping, but the roaches like it, too. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Roaches love firewood. <laughs> oh, and I do not love roaches. So bang them before we bring it into the camper, yeah. and uh, hopefully the roaches will be gone. Ooh. All right. Snakes. Great conversation about snakes. Um, There's a lot of resources through the Department of Natural Resources, DNR. Also on your website, you've got some of these myths that you've busted um, on WalterReeves.com. Next Saturday, we're kind of winding down our summer gardens, but still getting some tomatoes. So I do have some questions for you next Saturday about maybe common, you know, tomato diseases. And let's clean up the garden properly when the time comes. Yeah. I will prepare. I'll be ready for you. You know what? Even before that, we're going to take a break. We're going to check traffic and weather. I'm going to come back, do the top big three, three things you need to do in the landscape this weekend. And I want you to chime in on number three. Will you stick around? All right. I can do that. Challenge accepted. All right. You're listening to 95.5 WSC. Back to green and growing on 95.5 WSB. And yes, you just heard the weather update brought to you by Finley Roofing. The complete forecast coming up in less than 10 minutes. We've got Channel 2 Action News meteorologist Brad Nitz. And you know we've got the new WSB radio meteorologist Christina Edwards along to help you plan your weekend. I have a special guest, Walter Reeves. Stick it around for me here because I want you to chime in on one of these three tasks to do in the landscape this weekend. You game? Okay, ready to hear. All right. Ready to hear what you got. Green, green, and growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, I'm going to cut right to the chase, the one that I would love for you to weigh in on. Number one, pulling weeds. You know, we've had a lot of rain. It means plants are growing. That includes the weeds, and they're shooting up like weeds. Uh, Wait for a dry morning or evening. You can get out there and just manually rip them out. Spot treat them with a selective product that won't harm the grass or desirable plants around it. I say that's a great idea because when you pull weeds and kill them too with the herbicides, you are reducing the amount of weeds in the seed bank. And a lot of people don't know what a seed bank is, but it's basically your dirt in your, in your garden. When a weed sets seeds and drops it on the soil, not all those seeds are going to germinate next year. They may wait two, three, four years even, mm. and that's called the seed bank. The seed bank is where the seeds lie dormant in the soil. 
just waiting for the right timing and temperature and everything to to, to sprout. That's why you want to pull the weeds every time you see them. Try to do it before they set seed because the seeds are what stick around. I love that thinking ahead, planning ahead. Who knew that they could actually just survive for a couple of years before they decide to oh, try? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's yeah. some that have survived ten years. There's actually an experiment in Germany or the Netherlands where they have some of the, the plants that are seeds, I guess. They take out one seed every year to see if it germinates or not. They have seeds that have stuck around for 100 years. What? 100 years. Uh, yeah. That's nuts. All right, so that that's yeah. a fascinating one. These other two, not as fascinating, but pretty topical. Uh, number two, divide perennial. You can dig and divide perennial flowers if you want to share them, if you want to move them. Hosta, mm-hmm. daylily, any kind of lilies, ornamental grasses, maybe bearded iris if you need to thin out an iris bed. Um, and Walter, we've enjoyed the hostas all summer long, but now is a good time because you know where they're at. You know what size they yeah. are, and if they're just overcrowded <laughs> or you know hanging over a walkway or whatever, it's a great time to split them up. Right now the soil is warm and the t- nighttime temperatures are cooling off. So it's a great time to split and divide and plant perennials. Last chance to plant snap beans and Irish potatoes for a fall harvest. And you're going to want to think about doing that, you know, harvesting before the first yeah. frost. Maybe that will come late October, early November, but we'll need to keep a close ear on uh, Christina Edwards' forecast. And she'll definitely be in touch with us as well as Kirk Mellish's blog on WSBRadio.com. All right, Walter, enjoy your cereal. I'll pay you overtime for today. I'm so glad you stayed with us. (laughs) See you Saturday. All right, we're going to take a break and get an update on the news, weather, and traffic, and we will be back starting the next hour with Dr. David Coyle. You've heard him on the show before, a guest from Clemson University. We're going to be talking tree health and invasive species, that and more on 95.5 WSB. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.